0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah and I'm just about joined by my co-host Helen who is very croaky. Helen, are you there? I am here in all of my
2: croaky style. In, in I'm in Chester and you're... At home, near London, so we're in very different places and our voices sound quite different.
0: So you're probably going to hear a little bit more of me today. We're sort of persevering with our commitment to do it weekly. And this is episode 75, which I don't know why that feels like a milestone, but it it just sort of does. And today we're going to be talking all about empathy and what empathy is, why it matters within a squiggly career how to think about empathy and probably most importantly what you can do to build and learn empathy for yourself and I was doing some research into this because it's an area that I found interesting for a while and there it's not like me to start with a quote but I'm actually going to do it <laughs> this week I almost feel like because Helen can't talk I need to uh, take Enbody up her mantle with my love of quotes. yeah and, and you know put a quote in anyway in one of the articles I was reading about empathy In To Kill a Mockingbird, there's this line that says, you never really understand another person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside his skin and walk around in it. And that just really provoked to me the point around um, what empathy really means and what people are talking about when they describe empathy, which is not just about understanding, but really that kind of step further in terms of walking in somebody else's shoes. And it's one of these things that is a real cornerstone of emotional intelligence. And though though one of the things that threw me a bit is apparently 98% of people have the ability to empathise. And then I was just thinking, so who are this 2%? Who is the so, t-
2: sociopaths like people that just don't well, have the ability to
0: <laughs> I that's quite might, extreme. I think that might be it. So I think we should all sort of assume everybody listening should assume that we we naturally have the ability to be empathetic and to build this skill even more. Let's assume we're in the 98% because I was I wasn't, I wasn't quite clear what would make you into that 2%. And the reason I first started uh, getting really interested in empathy is actually something called the Empathy Museum. So this was a concept that was developed by actually a philosopher at Oxford University, a guy called Roman. And it was a physical museum where you turned up and you took a pair of shoes like physical shoes. So there were somebody else's shoes and you put them on. So you took the ones that were kind of the same size as yours. And then you walked along with a, like a mini recording device with your headphones in for a mile. And for a mile, you listened to somebody telling their story and you were listening to the story of the person whose shoes you were wearing. And I just thought it was a really clever, actually really literal way of going, you know, like you've never really understood somebody until you've walked a mile in their shoes. It was actually making you do that. And you'd think, oh, you're not going to know somebody that well just by walking a mile in their shoes. But I can still remember the stories now because it was so compelling as something to do to actually almost like just feel like you were kind of pretending to be somebody else. And I was like getting into their world. And they were just describing things that were really important to them. So that sort of started my interest in empathy. And I think some of the work that we'll talk about in a bit around Daniel Goldman's work on emotional intelligence, where he talks about empathy as being such an an important kind of cornerstone part of developing emotional intelligence. I like a quote that Daniel Goldman said as well, and he said, um, without empathy,
2: a person is emotionally tone deaf. I really like, <laughs> I really like that idea, because it's kind of just not, they're not hearing, they can't hear other people's emotions if you've not got empathy. And I also, if I think about why is it important in the context of squiggly careers, which is what Sarah and I spend a lot of our time talking about, about how careers are no longer this kind of linear, predictable thing. And actually, there's a lot more movement in a squiggly career, and that brings opportunities and challenges. But... But when I think about some of the challenges squiggly careers can bring, all the movement some of the uncertainties, some of the ambiguity and it can give rise to you know, challenges like stress or loneliness which we tackled on a podcast previously I think that's where empathy then starts to really come in as a powerful career skill because it can help you to build relationships and build bridges with other people who might need that level of support in the context of a squiggly career I feel like it's no longer just a nice thing to have, you know, to mm. be empathic person actually people need this this is the way that you can help and support your colleagues and maybe help them deal with some of the challenges it's not this shouldn't be someone else's problem we can all help each other by developing skills of empathy
0: I was reading actually today that for the first time ever now pretty much we've got five generations of people in the workforce and so that's a really good argument for why empathy is so important because just the diversity and range of people that we are now going to be working with and that's only going to continue to increase as people continue to work longer that that ability to empathize with lots of different kinds of people with different backgrounds experiences different ages will mean that things that we work on together will be better because again within squiggly careers as sort of helen mentioned very few things i think now are Individualistic. Very few of us do things where you just get on with it by yourself and you don't ever interact with other people. I think those jobs are, are pretty rare. Even if you do something where it might mean that you sit and do something for three or four hours by yourself, usually it's still you're part of something bigger. And so, again, the ability to build empathy means that when you're working as a collective, the likelihood of a kind of positive outcome of performing better is much higher when everybody kind of has empathy with everybody else. So it, it, you kind of have to start, I think, with you. But then if other people around you can also have it, I suspect it's going to be one of those things that um, will become a signal or a indicator of the best teams. I think the best, yeah, I the best teams will show empathy for each other. And Daniel Goldman talks actually about three different types of empathy, which I thought were worth just touching on briefly before we get into kind of how to build empathy for yourself. And he talks about cognitive, emotional and compassionate empathy. And we'll just perhaps go through each one and chat about each of them in turn. So cognitive empathy is, as we've described it, empathy where you understand how somebody else feels. So you have kind of been able to understand, kind of get in their shoes, understand their world. And he talks about how this is really useful in terms of motivating people, getting the best from people, negotiating with people. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, actually, here, there's quite a close link, I think, to things like values. Because I was thinking, how do you make this practical? So if you're like, right, I want to build my cognitive empathy. Uh Actually, if you understood the values of the people around you, or even more basically, what's important to the people you're working with... If you think about then, that correlates really closely to how to get the best from people or how to kind of motivate people. If you know what's really important to them, you can help them with kind of making the right decisions. You can also make the right decisions that is going to support that person. So I think that the cognitive one is probably the one that you think of first when you think of being empathetic. And I think that's the mode for me when I was looking at the three
2: when I was a manager in a corporate environment rather than working full time on the lovely amazing if I think I probably demonstrated cognitive empathy the most of the three in terms of cognitive emotional or compassionate that I'm going to put myself in your shoes. Where are you coming from? What can I do to help you? What, you know, that, how do I get the best from you in this situation? How do I help you to be your best thinking through all those different contexts in their perspective? That was definitely how I operated as a manager.
0: Yeah, and it's important to say that these are not really positives or negatives, they're just different types of empathy. So you can imagine some of these things actually taken to their extreme, and I think he does give this example, is that because cognitive empathy is good for things like negotiation, at its worst, it can go into things like manipulative behaviours. So it's almost like not these are not necessarily all good or bad, it's just these are types of empathy, and then it's kind of using them almost like responsibly, I think, in terms of or using them for yourself in kind of the right way. So emotional empathy is when you almost feel the, you kind of absorb and feel the other pe- person's kind of emotions as part of having empathy with them. And I've actually learned this previously um, using kind of a different word through learning to be a coach, which is something called transference, which is essentially it's not only you understand how somebody else feels, but almost then you you feel it yourself. So you feel it quite keenly. And so whether that is their energy, you feel their positivity or you feel somebody's kind of motivation or obviously it could be you, you kind of absorb other people's stress around you. And at its most extreme, emotional empathy can lead to almost you experiencing burnout because of the people you're spending time with and almost having overly high emotional empathy isn't necessarily a good thing or it's something that if you do have, you have to work out how you're going to manage that for yourself so that it doesn't impact you negatively. And often when I chat to people about this one, you can see that it resonates with some people kind of really strongly that they go, yeah, I really feel and absorb the emotions or maybe the energy of a room or a meeting. And it really impacts me rather than seeing it as, well, that's how they're feeling. And I understand that, which would be cognitive versus emotional that's how they're feeling and and actually now I'm almost feeling this way because I'm I have so much kind of empathy with it it kind of becomes part of who I am and so actually I can see how I'm sometimes like this because I'm a very positive person I'm always really positive and optimistic and upbeat I often find if I spend time with people who may be looking at the risks or the challenges which can sometimes feel negative I do find myself then going oh, now I'm feeling like that. And then trying to work out, do I actually feel like that or do I just feel like that because other people feel like that? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. I was just, um, I think since um, I've gone to Amazing If full time, I am now coaching far more people either in groups or one-to-ones or responding to lots of people's emails that send us and they're sharing often quite personal things. I definitely feel this emotional piece a little bit more in terms of the transference like it's not so easy to just read an email or have quite a an emotional conversation with somebody and then just switch it off um but mm. actually in order to help more people I like for myself I've got to develop that resilience and it, it reminded me actually I was on LinkedIn the other day I mean I'm on LinkedIn every day but um, the other day I was reading an article that Bruce Daisley had posted Sarah did a podcast with Bruce Staley about his book and um, the joy of work a while ago, and he's someone that we both know and has a great podcast called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. But he had happened to post an article on LinkedIn, but it was about the people who do. Content moderation on oh, it was Facebook. Facebook.
0: It was Facebook. Yeah. He was you were writing
2: about? Yeah, I did. Yeah, see it. But, it, but it wasn't their article. It was about no. it because it's not it's not actually. It's a company that Facebook outsourced to yeah. who do content moderation, and it's a, basically these people have to watch very distressing videos. Yeah, it's every day. It sounds like, dreadful, and they watch this and they basically delete it, and they they are assaulted with these images all day every day so that the rest of the population that use Facebook don't have to see them but they are getting like some of the things that that article reports show the damaging effects of mm. like emotional contagion or transference when i mean at its extreme that is yeah. you know that's
0: not the situation that everyone has but it's a very sharp example of the impact of this actually my friend is a psychologist And I think because of the nature of his job, it's really interesting that when you chat to him, there's kind of two things that he does in terms of managing his emotional empathy. Because this doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think it just means you need to kind of manage it for yourself. And the two things that he does is, A, as a psychologist if you're actually you know, helping other people, you actually have to have therapy yourself. So, you yes. know, that's that's kind of part of the process, which I think is a really good thing. You and I were chatting about this the other day, talking about something that we were helping people with and going, we almost feel like we need some of that some of the time. And I think that's something that we'll both think about. And then the second thing is that he plays a lot of sport. <laughs> and I actually, it's one way, I guess, of almost like releasing adrenaline but also the positive endorphins that are released as a result of doing kind of physical exercise helps you to feel positive. And he has actually a very tough job in terms of what he does and the patients that he sees. And so it's interesting, I think he plays football like four times a week. And I think, that's you know, partly because he loves it, but I suspect it's partly to make sure that actually he manages his emotional empathy throughout the week, given the nature of what he does. So I think if this is you, it's not a bad thing to feel these things for yourself. It will give you a level of empathy. But just ask yourself, firstly, is that how you feel? And if it is something that is causing you stress or burnout or you feel like you're absorbing kind of very strongly, think about what you could do, what techniques you could employ for yourself so that it doesn't become something that hinders you or gets in your way. And then the last type of empathy is compassionate empathy. So this is where you understand how somebody else is feeling and actually you take action and you help almost on that person's behalf. And lots of the examples that are given around compassionate empathy is almost outside of kind of the day-to-day business work. It's often where people suddenly come into contact with a charitable cause and then actually feel propelled or compelled to then take some action to do something about that cause that they wouldn't have done previously because they feel kind of so much compassion for something. And I was trying to think through whether I'd ever done this, which you know, you're trying to think through whether you've ever been. You compassionate. definitely have done this. You definitely have. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe there's a few examples. I think it's because the examples in the articles were so incredibly oh, brilliant lofty, that amazing. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I've never done anything like that. I think the thing I have done is probably five or six years ago through something called the Marketing Academy, which is something both Helen and I've done, which is a, almost a learning program that we both benefited from. There was a programme that was kind of alongside that, which was to support marketing apprenticeships for people who were very kind of challenged, disadvantaged backgrounds. People who would never get the opportunity to kind of come into the creative industries without some kind of support or help. And actually one of the things that they needed to give these apprenticeships uh, full time, fully paid for and kind of subsidised training roles was to actually raise funds. And actually, I did almost understand and kind of recognise that and actually set something up myself where a group of us together put on a set of learning events across the year to actually raise money to fund these apprenticeships. And that's something that's kind of stayed with me in various kind of ways, shapes and forms. We've got our next big conference actually on the 11th of April. I actually saw the venue this week talking about Facebook. Facebook are very kindly donating their venue to us. I suppose that is probably my best example of where you go, you've not only understood something but you've gone way beyond that to actually help and take action, even if it's in a kind of small way within your own world. And that's different to just understanding which would be the cognitive or just feeling, which would be the emotional. It's this step further forward. And so I don't think there's necessarily going to be lots of examples of these things, but I think you'll probably be able to spot the things where you've gone that a bit further than you would usually. Um, and I think I was just thinking about when have I got an example, but um, actually this week...
2: I spoke to Digital Mums. So Digital Mums have a group of people who are now running their own Digital Mums training sessions to train other people to become Digital Mums. And um, I ran a Facebook Live for them on how to... Basically, these people were all organising their very first session. And so from a compassionate, empathy perspective, I know what that feels like to organize a session that you're not sure if everyone's going to arrive and you're not Mm -hmm, sure what they're thinking and you're not 100% confident in your content. So I can compassionately empathize with where they're coming from and how they would feel. And then I moved into action mode in terms of helping them because I shared my experiences my tips what I had learned my vulnerabilities so to be part of what can help them be absolutely brilliant on the day and there's lots of other things that they'll be doing that will ensure that will happen but that's kind of an example of where it's almost like you can relate to it but you help someone to move forward in a kind of quite productive way
0: So let's move on then to how to build empathy. Empathy is a skill. It is something that you can kind of learn, practice, that you can consciously think about building your almost your, your empathy muscle at work and what that might look like. And so we've come up with five examples that we hope are quite practical Things that you could actually go and do at work next week, next month, or things that might kind of inspire a thought for you about what you could do that might work better within your environment. And as you're listening, if you do have any other ideas about maybe things you've done in the past to help you build empathy that you could share with the rest of our listeners or things that you're going to try that have worked really well, please do go on Instagram. We're just at Amazing If. Follow the community there. And when we do our blog post for the podcast, it's always great to hear when people have got other ideas and other things to share, and that's the joy of that community. We definitely don't have all of the answers, but we try to have some of the answers, or some thoughts at least, to get everybody started. So my first top tip is think about practically how you could spend some time at work understanding someone else's world. And my best example of doing this, and it was a very much a moment in time example, but something I think I could proactively now think about how I do this again, because I don't think you just do this once and kind of tick it off your list, is that when I joined the creative agency that I work in at the moment, I sort of ran almost an adopt a managing director scheme where I asked people to adopt me for a day or for a week or for part of a day so that I could come with them, spend the day with them, understanding their world and what they do. I'd not worked in a creative agency before, so I didn't kind of naturally have that empathy, having done their jobs previously, perhaps, or been in those kind of teams. And I was very mindful of potentially there being quite a big gulf between my own experiences and some of the experiences of the people that I was working with. And it was a really small thing that I did, but I think actually, A, people appreciated me taking the time to understand their world, but also I just learned so much and it doesn't have to be really time consuming. You know, a lot of those times it was spending an hour with somebody or a couple of hours with somebody. I was thinking actually even within you, kind of the teams that you're part of, this could be with someone else in the same team, a peer. It could be spending a day in the life of your manager, a day in the life of somebody in a different team. A day in the life of somebody who's maybe just starting work. Maybe if you've got twenty years of experience, actually having empathy with what it's like to kind of start work for the first time would be really fascinating. And once I got into this, I was—I worked out you could actually spend all of your time doing this, and it would just be really interesting (laughs) because you'd you'd just be exploring (laughs) loads of different people's worlds, and I think that'd be fascinating. And you'd never do any actual work, but I do think you probably have to be quite proactive. Understanding someone's world at work—I don't think just happens. I think you've got to prompt it or make it happen in some way that kind of works for you.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm sure there's a way to turn that into a job and then maybe write a book on it or something like that. Someone should do that.
0: Uh, yeah. Maybe that's the next book, eh? Given we've not finished the first yeah. one.
2: Yeah, probably just finish the first one. Yeah. I'm sure if our editor's listening she'd probably appreciate that too. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on very swiftly to number two. Um so the second way in which we think you can build empathy is to show gratitude to other people and just show it regularly. And I'm a bit of a geek with gratitude actually. I love I think it's about showing it to other people, but it's also about developing gratitude as a mindset. So one of the slightly geeky things that I do that will make Sarah cringe slightly, every night when I'm in bed, I think about three things that I am grateful for that day. And sometimes it's so about... So cheesy. I, I know oh. sometimes I even... Uh, my husband will die that I'm saying this on this. But he, I sometimes even ask Gareth, I'll get into bed, and I'll be like, Gareth, what are you grateful for today? And he'll be like, I don't
1: know. You, oh, you're you, so tense.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. This will be like half past ten at night, and he'll say, I don't know, maybe you, the children, I'll be like, no, 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 you said that last night. Find something else, Gareth, something else. <laughs> Poor Gareth. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes it's about people and sometimes it's about, like last time I was like, oh, the trains ran on time and I was like in bed for half 10 and I was going to get a full night's sleep. And so, but it's about cultivating a mindset of gratitude and I will try to find I quite like doing gratitude in surprising ways and I no longer have an immediate team that work for me in the same way that I did in a corporate role. But um, yesterday, for example, I don't know what made me reflect on it. Oh, that was it. I was in a taxi and, um, you know, the band Cause. Do you remember the Irish band Cause? Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) My dad absolutely loves the cause. So we spent a lot of time listening to the cause in the car. Well, back in the day when I was about 14 or 15, my mum drove me and uh, my friend Kay, who you know, she drove us to, I think it was Woolerton Park in Nottingham to watch the cause at some, I don't know, some concert or <laughs> whatever. And it wasn't that close to where we lived. And then she basically... Hung around Nottingham for several hours, waiting for us, and then tried to find us because we were really lost in Nottingham trying to find her. And she basically had to spend a whole day just driving around Nottingham trying to find two lost fourteen-year-olds and pick them up. And she actually took me to multiple concerts when I was growing up and hung around car parks so that I could go and do it. And so I, I, I reflected on it yesterday when I was in the taxi, thinking, "Do you know what? That's a really nice thing for a busy working mother to do for her teenage daughter." And so I just sent her a message completely out of the blue. Yes day saying thanks for driving me to all those concerts when I was younger I have no idea what she must have thought that I was thinking but I think almost sometimes unexpected gratitude I always carry cards with me in my in my handbag as well so sometimes um, staff that are working whether there's events sometimes I'll hand write them a card and give it to them because I think it is um, just a way of showing gratitude and appreciation and sometimes that can be surprising for people because they might not get it from everybody and I think it's um it's a really nice role that you can play for people in their day you're good at it Sarah you often
0: send little cards and things like that as well yeah and I think the other thing on gratitude is sometimes try and show gratitude in the hardest moments or in the things where it doesn't naturally come to you might actually sometimes be things that are frustrating or that are annoying you but I think in those moments think about what am I grateful for what is that person doing really well this is why I do notice Helen does a very good job because um I have a tendency to sometimes send Helen quite out of the blue ideas or musings and at times I suspect it's not the right time or it just probably gets on her nerves but you always come back and are very positive and I suspect some, But sometimes that takes a bit of mental agility to go okay well I get this might not be something I want to think about right now, or actually it could be getting in the middle of something else I'm trying to do. But, hey, do you know what? I'm actually still grateful for something, something within the I'm grateful that I'm working with somebody who has lots of ideas or who likes to think big or occasionally has some quite random musings that are sometimes helpful. All Uh, of
2: which is true.
0: So I think just think about it not only when it's very obvious, but also in kind of the harder moments. Top tip number three, I've stolen from, I've seen a few people use it before, which is something called the human library concept. I think that actually might be a movement called the human library, where they actually come in and set up in different countries. I think it's in multiple different countries. But essentially, it's the idea that you, and I think you could set this up at work so easily, that you borrow a human rather than a book. Mm. So um, good. I know, I'm trying to think, I think it might have been Jack Graham who told me about this, who runs a brilliant social enterprise called Year Here, which is a amazing if you kind of want to check that out but I think they did one in Hackney of course because you know all the super cool things always happen in Hackney in London and so the way this works is you basically advertise yourself as people could borrow you to talk about so I was thinking okay and this is not necessarily your work related so for example if somebody wanted great fiction reads Um, Or wanted some book recommendations You could definitely borrow me to do that I would be able to give most people Some really good book recommendations Because I love reading and I read a lot of fiction And so that might just be something random That someone's like, oh, I'd quite like to spend 10 minutes with you talking about that and actually, in a very practical way, I have seen this work well in Sainsbury's. So in Sainsbury's, in the marketing team that I was part of, we did something called a skills bank. Not quite such a cool name as a human library, but essentially everybody listed all of the kind of skills that they had to offer. Some of which they used in their day to day jobs. And you probably could have guessed that they would have. But some of the things were sometimes a bit surprising. They were perhaps things that people had used in previous jobs. Or there's something that someone was really passionate about and they happen to be really good at video editing or maybe they had a podcast that you just didn't realize or they were brilliant cooks so there was there was just loads of different things and actually just by sharing those things the idea was that almost you could go and like borrow from the bank and you could be like okay well I need somebody to come and say facilitate a workshop and that would have been in my skills bank and so actually by people knowing that and it's something I really enjoyed doing they could kind of borrow you to facilitate a workshop And I think there's something about that in terms of that concept of appreciating everybody else's skills, all the different things that they bring to work that just helps build empathy between everyone. So I think this is one where this is not necessarily just about you building empathy. This is how you can build empathy in your small team, in your organisation, so that actually you just have this kind of appreciation for everyone, all the brilliant things that everybody has to offer. I
2: love the idea of human libraries. Yeah, me too. Uh, Maybe maybe it's because it sounds a bit sci-fi-y. I Mm. do like a sci-fi film, but I think it sounds really nice that people can... It's like a way of being curious about people as well. It's lovely. So tip number four in terms of how you can build empathy is to develop something called radical listening. And this is something that somebody called Marshall Rosenberg talks a lot about in terms of how important it is actually for reducing conflict. He talks about how radical listening is an approach that you can use to reduce conflict. And one of the things that he talks about is that In the context of like an employer or an employee, so like a manager and someone that works for the manager, in terms of that relationship, occasionally that conversation can have some kind of conflict. Maybe there's a disagreement or a debate going on between you and your manager. When he talks about with radical listening is where that you you can dramatically reduce the amount of conflict that's happening in that conversation. Simply by both of those parties repeating exactly what the other person has said. So let's say Sarah and I are having a debate, it's a heated debate about what we think we should talk about next on the podcast. Sarah could say, okay, Helen, so one of the things that you think we should talk about is flexibility. Well, my perspective is that we should talk about this. And I could then say, Well, one of the th- okay, so your perspective is that you want to talk about gender pay gap. Well, I, you know, this is what I think about it. But actually, just by listening and playing back to the person you can help to reduce that conflict and one of the things that I liked when I was looking into Marshall Rosenberg's work was he was saying that actually at school we get taught a lot about reading And we get taught a lot about writing, but we don't really get taught about listening. But it is such a fundamental skill in the workplace. And so we need to play a bit of catch up. And actually, I think if you can start to practice radical listening, tune in completely, turn off your distractions, play back what you are hearing. It is one way in which you can maybe play a bit of catch up on what might be a skills gap for many of us, just because we haven't spent the same amount of time thinking about it.
0: And I think given within Squiggly Careers, we often talk about the amount of technology that we all have at our fingertips and often the way that we work. We have to work quite hard to be present. I think if you can be very present and radically listen at the same time, it's going to give you a real competitive advantage because you're not um, being distracted by different things. To be able to repeat what somebody said, you've got to really listen to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. and somebody who doesn't like conflict the idea of just listening really hard and then actually just being able to have a conversation where you're showing empathy through repeating things sounds really appealing (laughs) that sounds like something i definitely want to do um versus arguing with someone so i reckon i'm gonna start giving that a try a bit in my continual quest to have challenging conversations constructively should we say So number five in our empathy tip. So the last one is around asking empathetic questions. And I think a good question to ask yourself is when did you last ask a question to somebody at work where the motivation or the driver behind that question was to build empathy with that person? So it can be as simple as asking people how do they feel today? Grounding that in today. We've, we've talked about this before about how important it is not just to go how do you feel because everyone just goes Fine in a kind of, I'm not fine, but I'm fine, dismissive way, or they don't really answer the question. Whereas actually if you ask someone, oh, you know, how are you feeling today? Or how has this week gone for you? Really trying to get people to kind of explain how their world feels at the moment. I've done this before, asking people as a team, what one word would everyone use to describe this week? If you do something where you do all get together at the end of a week, you know, how are people feeling? Are 50% of the people feeling stressed and anxious and overworked and 50% feeling you know motivated and energized and okay so what's going on there is it that we're not prioritizing in the right way are we not helping each other enough what would it take for us all to have a positive word by the time we get to an end of a week I always think that I think that's a really nice way to think about almost every day and every week what would it take to make sure that my word to describe that day in that week is going to be a positive one given all of the ambiguity and change and uncertainty within a squiggly career and helping other people to make sure that that word's a positive one is a really good thing that you can do for yourself and for others. A very Sarah build on that exercise would be to get people to
2: draw how their <laughs> week had felt yeah. and then they can talk about it and it might unlock the people that might go, yeah, it's been fine into slightly deeper reflections on their week
0: ahead. So maybe that's the next version of that exercise. Yeah, the thing I really want to do, which I'm imagining in my head right now, is... <laughs> if you're kind of going right everyone's career is squiggly now pretty much Uh, there's very few people who don't recognize the relevance of kind of the squiggle and almost asking people draw your squiggle for this week and I think sometimes you know we talked before about when your squiggly career can get knotty and you know if people are drawing tight squiggles and they look knotty and pressing down hard on the page that would probably tell you quite a lot versus a kind of more swirling freer squiggle where people are going oh you know I feel like I've had freedom to explore things yeah there's been some ups and downs but I've come out of it positively I mean you're probably getting into quite a lot of psychology there about you know (laughs) like how do people even go about doing it how quickly do they do it but I would find it really interesting and I think we should have a hashtag, show as your squiggle. Yeah, uh, that, is, that is a good as, one. As long as it doesn't get into any kind of dodgy crap. But... Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, OK. That would, that we should try that one week and to see what we get back Just first. Just see what we get back. <laughs> um, and if you are in a position where you are leading a team, you can then think about with your empathetic questions, are you moving into kind of that area that we talked about in terms of cognitive empathy, where you're using the answers to those questions as a way to make sure you're motivating people and getting the most from people. So almost like the first step is to ask the questions. And then the second step is to think, what am I actually going to do with that intel? What am I going to do with that response to help people do their best work, to do even better work the week after? So it's sort of combining a few of these things that we talked about in terms of listening, saying thank you, asking really good questions. And then in some way, shape or form, I think, building this empathy does require you to take some action. So as always, we've got lots of interesting resources to accompany the podcast this week. There's a really good RSA Animate film all about out and empathy, which refers to some of the work of the philosopher that I mentioned at the start of the podcast. In general, the RSA Animate films are brilliant if you're trying to understand a concept or a topic they've summarized them so beautifully and if you particularly like things to be drawn and visualized they cover so many different topics so I'd look at those anyway and then there's our usual kind of range of articles in terms of how to build empathy some different ideas lots of things in terms of some of the work around Daniel Goldman that we've talked about and actually something Ooh, not Can really... I mention one as well? Ooh. Sorry, I just thought about this. I've, I'm not. It's not on the list, but I did it when I was... Um, I mean, if it's not on the list, have... I'm afraid. Like, this week, given but you can't good. really talk, I'm sort of in charge. <laughs> so, you know, it's not on the list. <laughs> she's like, she's going to cut me off, everybody, <laughs> The power, <quick>. the power. <laughs> it's
2: good, though. It's a little survey and it's called, I think it's like In the Mind's Eye. Obviously, we'll put the link on the blog post. But it's a, I think it's got 37 questions. And the questions Ooh. are, you have to look at images of people's eyes and... Guess uh, what yeah. emotion they are expressing when you look at the eyes and it gives you a score and it compares you to an average. So if you want to get a view of how good you are at understanding emotions by looking at people's eyes, then it's Ooh. quite a nice little test to do. That really Sarah, appeals to me. I know. I was quite happy with my score. Why I um, I was oh. 86% higher than the average. I was very happy. <laughs> wow, well, that seems like a that seems like a lot. Well, what do you expect? Yeah, right. Sorry. I shouldn't be surprised. That seems exactly
0: what i would imagine thanks
2: for that i'm going to send you the link to you sarah and then we can compare scores and okay. uh, i know you're going to be so competitive
0: <laughs> well the other one i was going to mention so that's um much more about your own empathy which the other thing we not really talked about today is almost like empathetic companies so companies that have created cultures of empathy and there is a good half business review article of where there's been some research done around what does it take to have a kind of culture of empathy? What does that look like? And a lady called Belinda Palmer, who's a real expert in this area, talks about it, talks about the companies that she spent some time in. They are mainly it's sort of slightly skewed when I looked at it towards kind of larger companies. But certainly you can read the characteristics of those things and then almost think about how does that apply to the organisation that you work in? so we're coming to the end of the podcast this week thank you as always for taking the time to listen we really do appreciate it we've got to over 100 reviews now 105 star reviews which makes us super happy if you're listening to your 75th episode or if you're listening to your first if you've not had time just yet to go on and give us a rating and a review we would really appreciate it it makes a massive difference in terms of our ability to share the podcast make sure that we keep doing them every week helps with all our apple algorithms etc um so if you take five minutes to do that, we will show you gratitude and be very thankful.
2: Um,
0: and we uh, yeah, have not engineered this whole podcast around. That's true, actually. Please give us a review uh, to show some show some empathy for us. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the intention of the podcast, but thank you. Though. No, I do actually quite. I do quite like it. It does work quite well um and if you want to connect with us you can always find us on linkedin just sarah ellis and helen tupper if you want to be part of the amazing if community probably the best place to find us is instagram we're just at amazing if and we are on twitter as well at amazing underscore if which is where we share more sort of events often resources articles videos those kind of things and next week we're going to be talking about inspiration One of those uh, massively overused words, I suspect. But we're going to talk about inspiration at work. So where do you get inspiration from? How to use inspiration to kind of do better work? What does it take to be inspirational? What does that kind of mean at work? And who are the inspirational people that we've worked with? What's the impact they've had? And how do we think we've been able to potentially inspire other people ourselves? So a really interesting topic for next week and something I'm kind of really fascinated by. So thank you for listening and we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Bye for now. Bye.
3: Planning for your next trip?